Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Amateur Bartending for Immature People. I'm Shannon. And I'm Greg, and this is the podcast where we're talking, thinking, making, and drinking some delicious cocktails. And for this episode, something especially delicious. We're going to be drinking the stars. Yes, come, come quickly. I'm drinking the stars. We're going to be featuring champagne today (laughs) and uh, champagne cocktails. So for all that leftover champagne that you'll have around potentially after Valentine's Day, whether treating someone special. Yes, like how you're going to treat me. Exactly. Or <laughs> drowning your sorrows because you don't have anyone special, maybe. Oh, or maybe you're not drowning your sorrows. Maybe you're celebrating. Maybe. I don't know. In, so for all occasions where you're going to have some leftover champagne, maybe we can help you out with that. If you have leftover champagne. If not, exactly. open another bottle and then we'll make some cocktails with it and then you can drink the rest of the champagne too. Absolutely. Well, um, well where should we start here? Well, you know, I love I love the sparkly stuff. I love the bubblies. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, maybe you can probably get maybe the definitions out of the way, the whole sparkling wine versus champagne versus blah, blah, blah. Sure, blah. I'll give you a little, uh, I'm going to give you a little history, a little fun, a little fun history on champagne. Let's do that. Um, I'm going to start and then we are going to... Uh, then we're going to make a drink, and then we'll continue, and then we'll make another drink. So, that but Greg's perfect. already taken a sip of just the regular champagne in the mm. glass. Yeah, this is really good stuff. Really good. What uh, we're what we're using today wine. as our sparkling wine is called Lux, and it's made by Domaine Saint Michel, which I believe is uh, Chateau Saint Michel, and it's like mm-hmm. the higher end version of it. It's, and it's really I think good. It might only be available in their tasting room. Um, it's a Washington sparkling wine, and it's super good. Not too dry, not too sweet. Um, we've had it in the fridge, and it's nice and cold, and it's delicious. Um, so it's just enjoyable literally on its own, as many sparkling wines are. However, um, like today, we're going to make cocktails with them, which mm-hmm. is also very fun. And I'm excited for the two cocktails that we've chosen for this episode. Absolutely. But go of- ahead and like pop, go ahead and pop the cork and uh, pour a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what you're drinking, and then we'll make some cocktails Ooh, with that it. That sounds good. Let's, so settle in, everybody. There is, um, and as you're going to pop your cork, um, there are some hints about the best way to do that. Oh, good idea. Yeah, um, good idea. So as you're getting started, it can be a little intimidating. Uh, you always hear about people like getting their eyes shut out or all that right. kind of stuff. So first, don't aim it towards your face. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you always want to keep it not <laughs> aimed towards don't your aim face. Don't aim towards your face or towards a window. I mean, like... Be cautious. I mean, maybe How we, we maybe, like to do it. Maybe we can even take a step farther back. I mean, for the complete novice, when, when you're faced with a corked champagne, what you're faced with on top is like a tinfoil capsule covering the whole thing. Yep. You're pretty much not in danger taking that off. No, you're fine. So you can take that particular element off first. Yeah. Then you'll expose what is, looks like a little wire cage with a metal cap over the top of the cork. Mm-hmm. Pretty much most of the time, you're okay taking that off as well. That's not going to be, it's not going to unleash the cork to pop into your face for the most part. Now, maybe it is, t- it temperature is good to dependent. Be cold. Yeah. Keep your, there's a reason to keep it chilled. Yeah. Keeping it chilled helps uh, control the, exactly, control the bubble. When in doubt, just throw a towel completely over the, you know, your hands and that cork as you're unleashing the basket. I mean, it takes a little bit of doing underneath the towel to get that off, but you can, you can do it. Yeah. So you shouldn't be too afraid. It'll be fine. Just take exactly. the just take the cage off. Um, you can then go ahead. So after that, after you have the little cage off, you know you'll see people with two fingers on it trying to wedge it out and aiming it and shooting off in the sky or right into someone's face. No, 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 don't do that. The pro method: have a towel over the whole thing. 
One hand holding the bottle very firmly by the neck, holding on nice and tight. And you know, preferably do it over a sink or something you don't care to get wet in case, you know, some does it come out. Like, it could so like some can, joyfully splash some out Some can joyfully the splash out. And then just simply give that cork actually, like a quarter twist. I, it's better probably actually to turn the bottle than the cork. Um, that's the pro. That's the pro. Well, either way you're doing it. You'll have a towel. It won't matter. You're having a towel over it. So you make, give it a twist. Don't try to push it off. Give it a twist. Then you'll feel it. The pressure of the bottle will start to push the cork right out. Just right in your hand. Then you'll get that nice satisfying pop. And generally, you won't lose any of the champagne. That's so. a great way to do it at home is to put the towel over it. Mm-hmm. If you're in restaurants, um, you know, you might see them do it without it because they're right. brave so, and they they're professional. Ca- and they can catch it in their hands. But, you know, if you have the towel over the whole thing, then if it does get away from you, it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, people will go, wow, what did you do under the towel? People not in the know. Oh, is that what they're going to do? Yeah, so you can be like, twist, twist, <laughs> just pop. Like, they're like, how the hell did you pull that out of there? And you should be like, well, you know, it's pretty easy. Yeah. But all you do is you twist about a quarter, and you'll feel it coming, and then just give it a little more, just wiggle it, twist it back and forth, and you'll feel it just poop right yeah. out. It's a great way to avoid injury. Absolutely, and you're going to look like a champ. Yes, and it's a joyful noise. I don't know of any oh, other noise. Oh, it's a celebratory that's like, noise. Yeah, it's yeah. such a joyful noise. It's a, it's the best wine to open, I think, Absolutely, it's fun. Um, now you have your bottle open. Pour just, a little. Just like that. Just uh, sit back for a sec, and let's just actually enjoy the beverage of sparkling wine or champagne. Exactly. Um, just for, in case you're not aware, um, sparkling wine, cava, and um, champagne are all the same beverage. They're generally made the same way. Um, champagne is just called champagne because it's the champagne from the Champagne region of France, uh-huh. which is uh, legally protected um, by the French. So, As, as uh, you would think it would be. Right. So if you're a real novice and you're at the sparkling wine area of your store know that they're all going to be they'll all taste different but they're all made similarly right i mean it's the same idea exactly so um there's a little fun history and greg's like going back for another sip because it's delicious um there's a little history uh i think there was a misconception generally by people that dom perignon was a kind of the founder of champagne like the mm-hmm. initial person who ever discovered it. You you hear about that name a lot. Uh, but it's not it's not true. Um, I'm gonna oh let me uh, do my let me g- give a little nod to some of the geeky uh, findings that the I sources, found. The yeah, sources, the sources you're sources. using. Yep, you probably had so to the winestalker.net has a really fantastic article um, on bubbly. It's called the a bubbly biography, the story of champagne. Of sparkling wine, part one, France and Spain. They have multiple parts, but I thought this one was a good one to get started fun. with. And uh, I have some fun facts today that we're going to be sharing with you. And of course, Wikipedia, and um, and we found our second recipe on food.com. So very nice. There, there I got all the business out of the way. So um, champagne, yes. Yeah, so it did not start with Dom Perignon. Um, it actually started with accidents because as people were making wine, mm-hmm. as nature is, you know, they're like harvesting in the in the fall and it's cold and they're picking all the grapes and it stays cold. But then as soon as the weather was changing and, you know, some of the places where they're making wine kind of got a little warmer and the wines tended to, if they weren't like, you know, I mean, it probably wasn't like the most sanitary or a sure. solid yeah. system for winemaking back in Roman times or whatever, um, they would start to ferment. Um, generally because of either something got introduced into into the wine itself mm-hmm. or um, temperature. 
and they always all things that are difficult to control back in the olden times. Yeah, so it used to be um, thought when it started to ferment a little bit and get sparkly um, that it was an issue, that there was a problem with the wine. So they actually thought that something had gone wrong with it. Um, But the Greeks and Romans just blamed it on the gods and the spirits or the phases of the moon or whatever whatever kind of things, you know, that they thought something happened with. And, um, you know, they just were like, I don't know really what went on. But the real story began mm. in the cellars of a little um, community called Le Mot in the southwest of France. Uh-huh. And they had colder nights and colder winters. Um, so that would be important for like how their wine was created. Sure. Um, but then, of course, like it would warm up in the summer. Um, they were in a little bit less of a Mediterranean area. So uh, they started training wine back and forth. This is still the Romans. And uh, they started ending up with these little little bubbles in there. And then all of a sudden they realized, hey, this this actually is kind of pretty pleasant. good stuff, yeah. Yeah, and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you love it? So um, that was the, kind of the first sparkling wine was from that area, mm-hmm. and that region really really learned to love it. And they were like sending it out to people, and they're like, hey, this is weird wine, but oh, that's kind of good. Um, and so you know, and these were the things that were happening in their barrels when they're stored in caves over the winter. So. Um, so that's kind of how champagne really started. But the way that we're used to champagne is because um, a little bit of sugar now is added with yeast into there. And uh-huh. that's how they're controlling the sparkling. And that was invented by an Englishman, and his name was Christopher Merritt. And that was in 1662. Oh my and he was a physician and a scientist by trade. Um, and his interest in business was metallurgy and glassmaking. Wow, interesting. Kind of a perfect combo for this because... Uh, he needed to make some strong bottles for his explosive that's wine. exactly right. The problem that they were having in France was the glass couldn't take the pressure of, sure. the, of yeah. the wine. And so he thought, he's like, well, I might be able to... I, got, I own these coal factories and um, I might be able to figure out some way to produce bottles that could, could handle the pressure of this. And that's what he did. And so, you know... We wouldn't have even ended up to a spot where that would have grown until those bottles were actually created. And that makes sense. It's kind of like almost like sometimes technology has to be there in order to kind of facilitate some kind of other, you know, because I can imagine probably wine bottles of the day not being super consistent in the thickness of the glass. You know, they're all blown, hand blown. Personally, so. now, I mean, I find it amazing they can do it even now. You know, even with uh, with machines, I'm surprised they can even get the consistency of glass just that many times that sp- specific thickness to hold the stuff. But yeah, it's it's crazy. So that's that's I'm gonna stop there because we're gonna stop with uh, Englishman okay. Christopher Merritt, and we're going to uh, we're gonna make our first cocktail. Very good, very good. Yeah, a lot of times I think some of these cocktails that we've seen and kind of what got us kind of headed this direction. I mean, obviously there's some pretty classic champagne cocktails out there, but we found quite a few for uh, the holidays times because mm-hmm. of the holiday holiday cocktails. I found some. We found some that we liked. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, this first one is one of those. And we also found some we didn't quite like, and we're not going to make those. And you won't have to set <laughs> through that. Let's put together the one we like. Um, the one we the one I like to start is called Jasmine Smiles. Oh, yes. That's well, kind of sweet and romantic for Valentine's Day. It certainly is. And it also is pink, and so it's really pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. It does look um, nice in the glass. It looks Valentine's-y. I think this with like a big chunk of uh, 
of dark chocolate would oh, be would be good for me. That would for be Valentine's perfect. Day. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> so this is going to have multiple um, multiple ingredients in here. So okay, it's a true cocktail. I think but we're the ready. first thing we're going to do is we want to add uh, to, to our shaker. We want to add some ice. Alrighty, so I'll get that. Uh, I'll get that going. And we grab all my measuring devices and my stuff here. All right, ice is in there, and we have a bunch of stuff sitting here in front of me. What do I start with? Okay, and the other thing is for this is we're going to put this in a flute. This, oh yeah, that's this okay. Very nice. Yeah, that's what. And we have some really pretty ones from when my grandmother had some crystal. Mm -hmm. So we're going to use that one this time. We got some nice pictures up of those. Yeah, that'll be beautiful. So here's what goes in it, and it's almost a little Negroni-esque, I think. But um, so we're going to do a half an ounce of London dry gin. Okay, so kind of sounding like a French seventy-five type scenario. A little too. bit, yeah. Just wait till you see what the other ingredients okay, here are. We go. So half an ounce of gin. All right, that's then in we're there. Do, oh, it's also easy because it's like equal parts except for the wine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a half an ounce of Campari. Okay, here's the, here's our, the kind of the Negroni component of yeah. this. Okay, and it's also what adds the pink, which yeah. is really nice. It's going in there. We're going to do a half an ounce of orange liqueur. So I use the Torres orange, but we could use, um, what do you call it? Contro. Contro, yeah. Yep, so here, so that half of that? Half an ounce. Okay, that's in there. And a half an ounce of fresh lemon juice. Okay, we've got a fresh squeezed right here, and it is in there. So now you have your more still ingredients. You're going to close your shaker up, and you're okay. going to shake it. All right, here we go. We're going to shake that up. Don't put your sparkling wine in there. <laughs> Unless you want to blow up your shaker <laughs> in your hands. All right, we got okay, that shaking good. up here. Yeah, so if you can go ahead and pour that in the flute. All right, give me that flute here. We'll put this in there. Ooh, that color's cool. Yeah, it's really it's really neat. And then um, on top of that, you're going to want to top it with about four ounces of champagne. Okay, I'll carefully. Or sparkling wine. Or cava. I will or prosecco. I will carefully <laughs> fit in however much will fit in here. Here we go. All right, there we are. That looks gorgeous. Look at that. We're not quite done. So you're going to garnish this with a flamed orange peel. Ooh, fun. Okay, that's what the lighter's right will here. You, okay. uh, yeah, will you tell them how to do this? Okay, so I, I have been watching. I watched a couple of videos to see how to flame orange peels. And I think there's a couple different methods to do it. But what I saw really actually involves taking and uh, kind of expressing the oils of the orange peel past a flame onto the top of your liquid or into your glass. So that's kind of what I do when I do it. So I'll hold either a lip match or lighter right above the surface of the drink, kind of just over the lip. And then you're kind of, I don't know, about an inch away, inch and a half away, kind of squeezing that orange peel so it woofs out a woof of orange oil. It's fast, too. It's, it's fast, not, yeah, and then just not. drop the orange peel in there. It doesn't actually cook or burn the orange peel itself. It really is all doing is igniting and burning the... Uh, the oils, Orange right? oils. Now, other people could be doing it other ways, but that's the way I've been doing it. Yeah. It makes it, um, like when you drop it in there, like when we did it today, um, the smell that you get is a little bit, like, smoky. Mm -hmm. Just smoky. Like right. a like a mezcal smoky or like, yeah, a smoky smell. Right. And like, like I that. say, there could be other methods that people are using, and but that's just the one that I kind of been using. Yeah, I just want to, I thank you for walking us through that because when you see flamed orange peel, um, the first thing that comes to mind is that somebody's like standing there with a light or like torch like, or like something. Or blowtorch just torching an orange peel. No, that could be an option too. Maybe that is something that is done sometimes. Maybe. But uh, that that's not what I've been doing. No. Anyway, and I, so. And I feel, fr I definitely am willing to be wrong, so. 
Well, let's uh, let's try your, your anyway. Your drink is ready. Yes, it um, looks great. It's jasmine smiles, and I think it will make you smile. Smiles I think with it's gonna be smiles. Give it a try. Here, give it a try. Yeah. See what you think. We're sharing one, so I, I didn't cheers, but oh, that's really a lot good. of volume for that's uh, really good. For it, a um, podcast, but tell me what you think. I'm gonna have a sip. It definitely lends itself kind of the this champagne itself is not quite the sparkling wine isn't overly dry. But I think that that's uh, so, that's so the tasty. juice in there, the lemon juice in there, really helps out with kind of like bringing it all together. And then, of course, kind of that, the Campari is mixed in there a little bit, but it's not overwhelming. And then, of course, the the, the dry gin in there, it's it, it tastes like a mix of a French 75 and a, uh, and a Negroni. A super light Negroni. Super kind of, light, yeah, yeah not oh. over the top Negroni. But it's, you know, but then add the bubbles and, and the sparkle. And really it's really a pretty color. Mm-hmm. Um, with the orange peel kind in of there, an orangey pinky. It's just lovely looking. Oh, I I think this is. I really love this one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're gonna make either of the ones today, I like them both. But this is uh, probably my favorite champagne cocktail I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's good. It I definitely really love beats it. the pants off. You know, a lot of your brunch cocktails you're gonna have with champagne. Oh yeah, you can make it for brunch for sure. You can make it all day. You can make it all day long <laughs> if you want. You can make to. it all day. You just like throw it in your cooler, take it to work. Uh, maybe not take it to work <laughs> just make the day make the day go fast for yourself that'd be a short day wouldn't it yeah anyway jasmine smiles that's the name of it oh that's, that's oh, a lot oh, of smiles and one more thing mm-hmm. um who had created this recipe his name was ted kilgore and he was from st louis missouri thank you ted ted nice nice work shan do you know that currently there's one billion bottles of champagne in storage worldwide that is a lot and with the world population currently at about 7.7 billion that's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, so like a seventh of the population could have one bottle could have of. One bottle, that's yeah. a hell of a party. It's a lot of champagne. <laughs> but some of them are probably babies. Some of them are probably babies and yeah. they can't have the champagne anyway. Yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. That's a fun thing. Isn't that a fun fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. That's cool. That's very bizarre that when you think about the numbers of these types of things that are out there. I have a fact for you. What you got? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's a true fact. There's research to say it yeah. is. So there we go. Our facts are loosely ba- <laughs> loose facts. There's research to say it Here's is. Here's some blatant lies. Um, I'm going to try it, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, it says it can help prevent memory loss. Champagne? <laughs> That's what it says. According to new research, one to three glasses of champagne each week could counteract memory loss associated with aging. Each week? Each week. One to three each week. Yeah, I don't know. Can you get uh, more and more um, memory associated with yourself if you drink it more and more? I think, no, is that funded by the (laughs) Champagne Council? I don't know. I like it. Funded by the International Champagne Council. It's a weird thing. I like it. Oh, you know what? What's that? I mean, here's another one. You know, we were talking about uh, Champagne region of France. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the chalky remains of ancient sea creatures are the soil for the champagne's grapes there. Thank you, ancient sea creatures. Yeah, it used to be um, the Champagne region of France was actually once on the floor of an ancient prehistoric sea. That's pretty cool. That, I think that's cool. It takes all the stuff I like together. Absolutely. History, ancient prehistoric champagne. sea floors and champagne. Yeah. All right, so let's go back to our story of Con- champagne. Continuing on the Champagne yeah. saga. So, I, like I said... Um, Thank you to the English, uh, Christopher Merritt, made bottles, loved the sparkling, wanted mm-hmm. it to exist, and added sugar and yeast to the bottles for the first time, creating what we know now as sparkling wine. But 
Um, I said Dom Perignon, who's very well known for people mistakenly think he was kind of the, I don't know. Founder. The founder yeah. of, of Champagne or something. Discoverer. I don't want to take away from him because no. um, he had, in 1718, um, he had studied champagne very thoroughly and like was refining it constantly interesting so there was a couple of things that he helped the region adopt as rules one of those was that fine wine could only be made from pinot noir okay. um, as red wine is less likely to re-ferment kind of interesting. interesting yeah and you know um I'll, I'll tell you all the grapes here in a minute but pinot noir is a red is generally associated as a red wine Right, mm-hmm. but that's only because they leave the skins in it. Um, sure, the yeah. actual juice, of course, is going to be, you know, clearish, yellow, whatever. Right, you know, right, right, right. Inside I mean, if you of look grape at the, color, if you, if you peel a grape and you look at the inside of it, they're all basically the same color. So yep. it's about the it's about the skins is what creates mm-hmm. the color. So if you're like drinking a rosé version of a sparkling, it's because it's the same stuff. It's just they've left it on the skins longer. Right. So. Um, anyway, the first rule was it only can be made from Pinot Noir. The second rule, this is in 1718, not now. But the vines must be pruned so they don't grow any higher than free, than three feet tall. And we've seen these little stubby, oh, yeah, stubby the vines old, in old Europe. Old world vines that are teeny tiny. And then number three was the harvest has to be done in cool, damp conditions and before 10 in the morning. Wow. Number four was the harvest picking must be done very carefully to avoid bruising of the grape or breaking of the skin. That seems reasonable. And number five was rotten or super large grapes had to be tossed. Of course. So this is all the kind of stuff that Don Perignon had helped kind of refine and mm-hmm, work on mm-hmm. in the Champagne region. His dad owned um, some vineyards where he was raised around viticulture and winemaking. But he was a Benedictine choir boy who then went to Jesuit college and ordered and entered the Benedictine order at the age of 17. Hmm. So he knew a lot about viticulture and winemaking um, and worked really hard on these things. But they actually don't know um, that he actually drank it because of his job. So they don't know whether he actually was sampling his own products or not. I'm sure he might have been. I mean, when he was young, he must have. Checking it for taste and kind of like trying to get a certain flavor profile. He has to taste i would imagine they do say in here his most famous quote which was we had just uh, come quickly i'm <laughs> tasting stars right come quickly i'm drinking the stars what that was a marketing fabrication from the 19th century oh rip off um and they said that it's unlikely he he ever that he, it's very unlikely he never tasted wine in his entire life but he probably did at some point during his first 17 years, you know, before he joined the sure, order. Sure. But he didn't consume a drop in his final 59 years as a monk. Wow. Good for him. I think that's kind of interesting because I've always yeah, seen that is. quote and you're always like, oh, this man was like, well, you know. And Dom Perignon is one of the oldest um, brands of, of champagne in the world. Um, well, that makes sense then why they're trying to Of course, they want to capitalize him, on it a little bit. And why they want to credit him kind of with the whole, whole a discovery and kind of breaking out of champagne. Anyway, that's kind of that's an interesting thing. Um, a couple other things that happened um, with champagne, and by the way, champagne can be made from a lot of different types of grapes. Um, somewhere I have a list, and I will find them for you. But um, it was just at that time mm-hmm. uh, that they talked about Pinot Noir. 
um, generally, I think you're used to ones that have either been made with Pinot Noir, Pinot no, Meunier, I think is how you say it. I don't know how to say no. it. Um, and, or Chardonnay is really popular and, and really common for that grape to be used. So there's, um, have you ever, when you have looked at the front of our sparkling wines before, have you ever seen the term method champenois? I have. Um, it's on a lot of, it's on a lot of bottles. I think, I think it's on the majority of them. Do you know what that means? I believe it probably means that it, the wine, the sparkling wine in there is created using the same methods as the sparkling wine that's done in the Champagne region of France. That's pretty close. Yeah, it's it's um <laughs> it means it's made in a traditional Champagne method. Okay, okay. Which is that they're taking a base wine that's high in acid, which is uh, generally white grapes, um, and low in alcohol. They ferment it with their carefully handled grapes they still handle mm-hmm. them very very delicately um generally uh there's about seven grape varietals that are allowed to be used which are some of the ones i just told you those are the most sure. common um different varieties have different taste profiles and so they might mix some of those together also right right and uh anyway so they're kind of taking it from that beginning stage of like babying it a little bit mm-hmm and then the next step is assemblage, and that is when they blend their base wines to get their the desired flavor, like once sure. it is going to go into fermenting. Um, and you'll see when you, um, if you go to like a champagne tasting, sometimes they'll take a they'll talk about this step, which is the blending step. The assemblage, yes, or the assembly. assembly. <laughs> the assembly, yes. So, you know, um, there's a couple of things that you might see when you're out buying wine, like you might see Blanc de Blanc. A Blanc de Blanc means it's 100% Chardonnay. Or a Blanc de Noir means it's mostly made of Pinot Noir with Pinot Meunier. I have seen that terminology, and I'm not, I have not known what it meant. Yeah, so there's special names for special types. Oh, that's and, cool. And I never knew that either. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, it's, it's that really it was cool. about the actual grape variety. Oh, that interesting. And you might have like a Blanc de Blanc, and you might be like, I love 100% Chardonnay sparkling. Right. So then when you go try to find another one, you might say, oh, I really love this type of wine. Because cool. you know the base grape. That is cool. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into that. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, I'm sure there. I'm <laughs> sure there is like as many stars in the sky as there are combinations. Yeah. So they have, um, and then of course, then they bottle the wine with a mixture of yeast and sugar, and then they close the cap like they do. Uh, they close the cap, and it's like the caps you use on beer or soda, like the ones where you just like pop the top sure. on it yeah kind of a crown style cap exactly well it's kind of interesting because i've been looking at a lot of new packaging and some of the new sparkling wines actually are just keeping that cap on them really instead of the cage with the cork and everything like that's that. very interesting i think it's a little strange but um yeah. it it looks a little cheap to me but that's my own opinion yeah i mean um, that's that's something <laughs> you're gonna have to struggle with i mean if it's superior to the cork you know yeah i don't know um it's the whole it's the whole uh, screw cap versus cork wine battle. Uh, a little bit. Um, I think the ones that looks like they're those little crown caps look. Oh, it kind of looks like uh, what do you call it? Uh, sparkling apple cider. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah exactly. That's a perfect. Or sometimes you see actual ciders. I don't know. It just looks like soda to me. Yeah. It takes away kind of the. In Gen- this particular it takes away case, the Genesequa. Yeah, in this particular case, I I like the sound of the cork, and there's like yeah, a that, whole there's, there's a, like a romance around it. I right. don't know how I feel about it, yeah. but yeah. it'll take a while before that is. We'll see how everybody responds to those types of things. I mean, it's all 
It might be Change safer because you could take it off like a beer. Yep. You know, you could and then Oh, pop that would be it. so underwhelming. It's just not the Instead same. Of <laughs> I like the danger involved with a with a cork, but well, and you can show off your skills of knowing how to drape the towel and be like, tw- give it a half to twist <laughs> and be like, no, wait, boop, see, easy. But I didn't know. I mean, back to this, like I didn't know that they were using those. Uh, yeah, I caps didn't know that either. Kind of the crown caps for, weird. for the first fermentation. Nice so you learn something. So that's primary yeah. fermentation. The secondary fermentation was with extra yeast plus sugar. Um, this that so when you add right, so then you're exactly you you add the yeast and the sugar, and then um, you're waiting for it to fizz up, right, to trap the CO two, just like you do when you make beer. Just like what you do when you home brew some beer, you can do that kind of secondary fermentation plus a little priming sugar. For your yeast, and yeah. away you go. And it's funny because we've we've made beer before, and sometimes when we're in there, it'll say champagne yeast when you're looking at beers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a similar. It's the same yeast that they're using for That's champagne. Cool. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So they use this little cap on there. They wait for it to uh, trap all the CO two in there, and it's getting all bubbly inside of there. Um, but before they figured out a way to clarify the wine. It would have all that murky yeast in there, and they, you know, it'd come out kind of cloudy, and they didn't quite know how to clarify it. Um, but the so what they do now is called riddling, and this actually was conceived by an employee um, of the Clicquot family. So Madame Clicquot had inherited her husband's businesses after his death, and then she herself was only twenty-seven years old. Um, she became the first woman to run a champagne house, and back in her cool. day. Um, each bottle would have to be riddled by hand, and riddling means you're taking the bottles and you're turning them upside down. So all the yeast is then falling down into the neck of the now, wine. Now, do we know if they're absolutely upside down or just angled with the they're, necks down? They're angled, like, I don't know what kind of so degree 40, is that. You're showing me a 45 degrees. Yeah. So there's an actual rack. You've probably okay. seen these. Um, mm-hmm. The riddling rack? The riddling rack. Um, sometimes they're shaped like a... Like a like a clapboard for outside of a restaurant, like the a V shape. Sure, yeah. And okay. they'll have holes um, all the way down it mm-hmm. on both sides, and they'll just stack the bottles in there. Um, and the whole idea is that the yeast, instead of falling to the bottom of the bottle, isn't going into the neck. Okay, cool. So then the Riddler comes along. There, yeah, there is a Riddle, Riddler. Riddle me this, Batman. There's um, I can't, I don't know where the article is. So I talked about people's weird job names. But yeah, Riddler is is a person, wow. and they come and they like um, kind of move the bottles like once a day. They have to rotate the bottles once a day. I think I've heard that they twist the bottles one eighth of a turn every day. There you go. What's the? Oh, do you have the thing? What's the other? Is there a thing about the other weird job name? Mm-mm. Oh damn it! Nope. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I might run into it. Whatever. So, um, her the process that it was came up at her time Mm -hmm. of the champagne house was that um, all the bottles that have to be riddled by hand and then they came up with the idea of um, freezing, like flash freezing the necks. So then the yeast would get hard in there and make a plug. And so when they're ready to do the final bottling, they would be able to disgorge, it's called disgorging, like taking that yeast plug out um, and then recorking, they'd fill a little bit more wine up in there, and then they recork it. That's when they put the Weird. cage and everything on there. And that's how your wine is so clear. That's why you don't have yeast in the bottom of your bottle because it all kind of went up so into the neck. So they flash freeze the neck. They flash freeze the neck. They take the yeast out, 
fill up. I wonder if it's so you how have a little bit more wine. out of there. I don't know. I, wonder, I, would I, like to, I would like to see the process. Maybe we can find a video of it at some point. Oh, you probably could. So we'll look that up later. Yeah, so it says the bottleneck is dipped in a freezing solution, and then the cap is taken off, and the frozen sediment, um, they put it up, allowing the frozen sediment to pop up into the air, presumably into the eye of a young, unsuspecting winemaker apprentice. Oh, Wayne, I think I see what you're <laughs> saying. So, like, they'll take the bottle that had previously been upside down. Yeah. They would keep it upside down, stick it Freeze like it. in liquid nitrogen. Uh, no, I just or like whatever, super something cold water. Cold, or something super yeah. cold. Mm-hmm. Freeze just that plug area. Mm-hmm. Turn it upside down, pop the cap off. It automatically poops Boop. out because yep. of the pressure it's in there. Yep. And they throw a cap in there. Uh, they fill it just a touch with the with the wine that, not sparkling wine, but with the with the base wine that yeah. they used, um, the assemblage. You know, essentially they fill it with the assemblage. Yeah. So the and because they're just topping it essentially, the, so you're not losing volume. The quantum sophisticate. <laughs> the quantity what? sufficient. I don't know. And yeah, and so and then yeah, and then they're they're corking it at that point, putting the cage on the foil, all that kind of stuff. But that's how come you have a crystal clear sparkling wine. And it's still it is really cool, right? And it still has six atmospheres of pressure. That's pretty cool. I think that's amazing. I I want a crazy cool process that is five times the pressure. I'm gonna have a sip of it. You should. Oh wait, it's all gone. So that means so six atmospheres is five times more than what we're experiencing. Incredible, right? Because we have one atmosphere of pressure right now. That's crazy. So cool. That's pretty fun. Yeah, so then they open it, they top it off with the what had been lost out of the disgorgement, um, and they call it the dosage of wine and mm, sugar. Very nice. Um, yeah, that's that's what that is. That's um, really cool. Here's another just tiny little fact, and then we'll get into uh, some other fun actual facts. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount, so when they um, put a little bit of the wine in there, to top it off and sometimes they'll put a little bit of sugar and it's called liqueur de expedition the liquor of expeditions probably kind of to expedite the uh re uh for re uh, uh pressurizing probably actually but the amount of sugar depends on the level of sweetness that they desire in the entire wine mm. So originally these wines are pretty sweet, so they've been evolved to become drier until that That's last driest level. And so that they could have like levels of dryness, right? So this is where they're adding just like a little bit of sugar. And that's why there's levels like brute and brute is drier than an extra dry. Um, The level called natural or natural means that no sugar was added at the time that they put in the dose. And it's as dry as a sparkling wine can get. Which one was that again? The natural. Oh, that's cool. Or natural, I guess. It's it's an italic. So that is the the unsweetened. Uh, yeah, it's just um, left exactly in the way that it interesting. came out of the bottle. That's super cool. Yeah, I never knew. I knew I learned a lot this time um, about sparkling wine. That's really and cool. I enjoy sparkling wine, but it was fun to kind of go through this. Yeah, it is. Like, well, what, what, what do you got for our second uh, second concoction for the people here this evening? Okay, yes, yeah, second concoction. Okay, here we go. We I've have. Got, I still have a bunch of stuff here in front of me. That we have not used. What are, what are we going to do? We're going to do facts at the end. We'll do facts at the end. Okay. we got. Yeah, let's do it. We'll do uh, quick facts because there's so much we'll stuff the, and it's the so rundown, fun. The rundown. We'll have the speed fact round. The, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Speed facts. But let's uh, slow it down for a second and make uh, another cocktail. 
I'm ready. So this also is a pleasant cocktail to uh, provide to yourself or to someone you love and uh, uses the most romantic of, of ingredients. Mm-hmm. This is called the Ultimate Limoncello Cocktail. Ah, oh, limoncello. I know. It's so good. And the limoncello we have is from Napa, um, which I love it. And hopefully it is really good. Limoncello. I, oh, we're going, oh, we're going to go to Sorrento in like three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. And I cannot wait because that is the home, the real home of limoncello. So I guess they have giant. Maybe we'll bring some back and make it. They have giant lemons there. there. Or actually, we could probably make it there because it's not that hard to make. They have lemons the size of baby heads there. They do, like grapefruit size. They're humongous. Huge. So excited. Okay, anyway, but this is not using that, but I can't wait to use it. Yep. All right, this is really easy. We're going to uh, add a little bit of ice to a shaker. Okay, here we go. And this time you're going to use a quarter of an ounce of lime juice. Okay, it's all, it's in there. Oh, and I used a coupe for this just because I thought it would be fun, but you can basically use any wine glass, whatever you want on this. Um, And then you're going to do a half an ounce of limoncello. Here it goes. Half ounce is going in. Okay, good. All right, and then just shake it up. Yeah, what you're doing is just getting your primary ingredients cold. Don't put in the sparkling wine yet. For any cocktail that includes co- includes champagne or sparkling wine, do not add it until the end. Exactly. Or you will have a mess. Okay, you ready? All right, All right go ahead and just pour it into the coupe. This All is right, a very easy cocktail. In the glass here. Right. Perfect. And then I'm going to add four ounces of sparkling wine. Hang on a second here. Oh, yeah. It's like pour it slow. It kind of bubbles up when it hits that sugary. Right. Anytime there's an addition to champagne, it kind of foams up a little bit. Well, this this is a little more kind of like a straw colored, but it's clear. This is pleasant to look at, too. Is there garnish on this? Nope. Nope. This is it. What was the name of this one again? It's called the Ultimate Limoncello Cocktail. Ultimate Limoncello. Here we go. Shan's going to sample it. I, I like limoncello. I think it's got a really nice kind of oh, that's so, super lemony that's taste. That's so light. Let's try it here. It's not super sweet, which I really like. Um, the lime juice and the limoncello work really well together. There's like a citric balance in there, and it's bubbly, and, and if you're it fam- makes you happy. And if you're familiar with limoncello, there's an el- a sweet element to it. I wouldn't say this makes this overly sweet, but I think it just adds just the right amount, especially as you're bringing it up your nose you can kind of smell that kind of kind of limoncello-y sweetness and then the tartness of the lime juice as well as the bubbles from the champagne perfect so good it's really good um there i have i I know we're probably going to go a little long i have so many so much more information about champagne so we'll probably do a second episode on it because there is like a really fun history um beyond beyond like the beginning of champagne but um one thing I do want to touch on today is wine glasses because I was reading a lot about wine glasses. And I know everybody who listens to me um, and Greg know how much I love coupes because oh, I yeah. think they're gorgeous. And they were originally the original uh, champagne glass. However, um, flutes also original for champagne because, you know, it's fun to watch the bubbles go all the way up the top. Absolutely. Oh, that's fine. Um, but what experts say about glassware 
is it actually is better to use something like a wine glass or something that has a little bit more of a curvature up towards the top uh-huh. because it helps hold the CO2 and keeps it carbonated a little bit longer and you can capture the smell of the actual wine a little bit better. So as much as I love a coupe, and I'm going to drink this drink really fast so it's not going to matter, but <laughs> if you want to really enjoy a champagne um, using something with a little bit more that can capture the so you kind of going, you're kind of going in between the old school, which is a coupe for champagne, and the new school, which is a flute. You kind of want this, you know, you don't want to be so big that there's so much surface area that you're going to lose it all, mm-hmm. and you don't want to be so small that there's not enough surface area to actually let the air interact with the sparkling wine. So again, so the, it's the regular wine glass that the is the regular like the wine king. glass is is the king. They said a regular white wine glass is the best way to experience uh-huh. a champagne, which I. Yep. Which, you know, we have all this fancy glassware everywhere in the house, but um, but there you go. That's what the experts say. That's what the sommeliers are telling you. If you really want to capture the real the real um, essence of the champagne that you're drinking, you're going to use that. Well, it kind of makes sense that you're going to kind of like play to the strengths of the physicality of what the material is, which is it's a wine. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind a wine is exposure to air to open up flavors and... The bubbles themselves are going to be agitating the wine, so you don't have to do the swirl yeah, like a regular wine. So it's happening. It's happening, but having the small top surface area is smaller. Having the large top surface area is larger. Like you probably don't want to drink wine out of a coupe for the same exact reasons that you don't capture the smells and the kind of the 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 uh, essence is coming off yeah. it. So same idea. I mean, it makes sense yeah. if you think about it. It does make sense. It just is a little sad because we have so many coops and I'm just going to drink my sparkling wine quickly. Well, you know, <laughs> make a regular cocktail in there. That's right. So it's fine for the cocktails we made. So anyway, there you are. I didn't yeah. know if you knew. It was something that surprised me and um, I feel like I was surprised a lot by this research this time. So, um, all right, facts. We're going to do facts and then we're going to be done. All right. A, a shotgun, uh, or excuse me, a machine gunning of facts. What do you got? The most expensive bottle of champagne cost $2.07 million. Oh, my God. The bottle had a diamond ingrained, ingrained into the design on the outside. Well, that doesn't mean it tasted good. Fact, <laughs> champagne corks fly out at speeds of near 25 miles an hour, only if you vigorously shake it. So, like, normally you're Holy not going to get that. But, like, those people who do the car races. And they're they're actually, like, so I investigated that. Okay. They're actually handed an open bottle of champagne. They usually... Put their finger over it, shake it up, and spray it on their buddies. Oh, yeah. well, what They're handed waste? open bottles of it's champagne. It's a weird waste of champagne. It is a weird waste of champagne. Okay, I have one for you then. Okay. The longest recorded flight of a champagne cork was 177 feet. So that's uh, roughly 54 meters. So that's about the half of a length of a football field. And excellent. <laughs> and I've heard this christening of ships with champagne started in Babylonia because they would pour the liquid over the hull to check for holes but I don't know if I buy that. Why would you take something that takes so long to make? I think they used to. I would to, just get a bucket of water out of the thing. I think and they pour used to. I think they used to use any kind of liquid, yeah. but then, you know, it's yeah. really good for the champagne industry. Exactly. It's, it, yeah, exactly. Okay, I got one for you. The pressure in a champagne bottle is 90 pounds per square inch. That's like a uh, road bicycle's tire. Three times the amount of pressure in your tire, of your, in your car tires. Car tires about 35, 32. Road bicycle. They can be 90. Yeah. Okay. What do you got? Queen Victoria and Edward VII especially love champagne. They drank Joseph Perrier. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the same guy that does Perrier water, but they sure liked it. 
I have a famous thing too. What you got? Uh, Marilyn Monroe once took a bath in champagne, and it took 350 bottles to fill up the tub. You know what I've heard though? I wonder if she got like contact drunk. From I was it. gonna say I've heard that if you like immerse yourself in alcohol, you can die. Maybe that's what did it. I don't think that's what. Did it. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't think that's what did it. It's a lovely way to die. No, because. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I know. What else do you got? That was the last of my fa- fast facts. Okay, I have a weird. I have a weird fact. I have. Okay. A, I mean, there's a ton, but here's here's the other weird fact. Something to try at home. I'm gonna leave this with you. Not bathing in champagne and dying. No, if you drop a raisin into your champagne glass, what? It will continue to travel from the top of the glass to the bottom over and over and over again. I like that. We're going to try that after we get off Hell air. yeah, we are. We're going to totally try that. <laughs> I don't know if I have raisins, but I might have some cranberries. Raisins. Um, the reason it does it is because the air gets trapped around all the little wrinkles sure. and it's lightweight enough. So if you want to win like a bar bet or something like that, you'd probably have to bring your own raisins because it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're heading to the bar, everybody, and you're getting your champagne like usual at the bar, like our listeners generally do. They go to the sh- bar and order champagne. Make sure you take your raisins out of your pocket to win some bar bets. I don't know. It's fun. It is I think fun. that's fun. Anyway, so that's what we got for you guys today. <laughs> I th- we will definitely do another champagne episode because yeah, there's, there's just a lot of facts. Oh, so much history, like World War One, World War Two stuff. I, oh, it's crazy. But Shan- and I know that I. Oh, sorry, I hit the mic. I know that you were uh, frantically taking pictures of both of these drinks down there where can people go to see pictures of the drinks that we made tonight and then also get those recipes that we kind of went to through pretty fast go to instagram which our thing is um amateur bartending for number four immature and like greg said we will have the recipes of these two cocktails today and pictures absolutely there we are and if you want to get a hold of us and send us an email that uh we love to get emails from you that have either pictures of what you're taking or comments questions observations, critiques, whatever. We love to read those. Shan, give them that email handle. I don't know it. <laughs> We're on Yahoo. I don't know. It is. Just message us to him. It is uh, A, B. <laughs> so you don't know well, it either. I don't, that's why I asked you to give it. So it's amateur We've bartending <laughs> for immature people. So it's I got it. It's ab4ip at yahoo.com. I just always click the link. Yeah, just click the link. It'll be fine. ab4ip. That's what happens when you have like a, several glasses at yahoo.com <laughs> for questions, comments, and pictures of your own cocktails at home when you're doing your own fun times with your leftover champagne. Shan, this has been fun. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Or, or just celebrating how much I love you. So. Oh, and on that note, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>